0: We're going to take a bit of a of, of a of a journey to get to what I'm going to talk to you about, okay? Which is thankfulness, and we, as I, as Steve, kind of kind of kind of nuked me out here a little bit, kind of narked on me a little bit, and that is uh, my my title was uh, the blessing. We start I start out with this whole group. It's, it's, we're, I'm looking for those of you who haven't been here. Uh, four different messages through the month of November on thankfulness, and we're just calling it thanks. And my working title was The Blessing of Jerks. And then the censors at Renaissance said, maybe you should change that. And I said, okay, how about the blessing of jerkdom? And and they said, no, that's not a word. And I said, I don't care. And, and so through a whole list of different things and a lot of prayer and some force and Somebody's use of a three iron. Uh, it, 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 we ended up changing that. They talked me into changing it to the blessing of difficult people, and really, that's better because some of the people that we're talking about, they certainly may be jerks, but some may not be, and some it goes much further. A person that sues you, uh, for instance, for reasons that are that are unjust, is certainly more than a jerk. You know, and the guy we're going to look at in the scripture here. Um, King Saul and King David, well, before King David is uh, the king, before David is king, um, Saul was a lot more than a jerk. So I want you to just kind of encompass that whole thing and then some of your minds, because I know you, are probably already thinking, I what does that got to do with being thankful? Just stay with me, okay? Just hang with me and we'll get there. So let's talk about this. The blessing of difficult people. What is the blessing of difficult people? It's twofold, Okay. And you're going to hear this a couple of times or more this morning. The blessing of difficult people is they can teach us something about ourselves, our own insecurities, our own, our own uh, weaknesses. Sometimes we find difficult people who have maybe even exaggerated points in their own personality that we have. And we see it in somebody else and we don't like it. You know, so difficult people, can, you know, jerks or whatever, they can teach us something about ourselves. They can also teach us, even more so, something about the depth of our trust in Almighty God. And that's really what it comes down to and whether or not we're going to live in a thankful manner so let 's jump into this because we 're going to talk about it just we 're going to take a passage in the Old testament out of david 's life so i 'm doing this whole month on this series taking different different uh, chapters out of david 's life um, and last week we talked about king david we 're going to do a prequel this week and we 're going to talk about David before he was a king and David comes on the scene really in first Samuel in the Old Testament, and uh, the first thing that we see David do is conquer this huge giant of the Philistines by the name of Goliath, and most of us, I think everybody knows at least by metaphor or some other thing, you know, David and Goliath—the story of David and Goliath. And Goliath was probably around; uh, most of the Old Testament scholars believe around nine feet tall, something like Yao Ming. Is he nine feet, eight feet, something like that? I don't know what he is. He's, he's big, but the, but the difference is Goliath was also not just skinny and tall. Yao Ming, by the way, plays in the NBA. For those of you who are unenlightened. Um, and, um, and, uh, but Goliath was not just a tall guy, but he was big, just big. And he was basically the, the champion of the Philistines. So, um, that happens. David's 17, 18 years old. And keep in mind, 17 or 18 at that time is a little older than 17 or 18 at this time, if you catch my drift. Okay lifespan was a bit shorter. And, and, you know, plus years were a little different too. So anyway, here we go. So we come into this passage in 1 Samuel chapter 23, and I want to show you the seeds of this. What we're going to see is a huge conflict between Saul, the current king, and David. And I want to show you that because I want to show you how David reacts to that, and I want to show you what that shows you about David, and then I want to show you what that should show us about us. It's a lot. Stay with me. You'll see what I mean. Let me just tell you this. We have Israel, okay? Israel, we have at this point a united Israel. Now, that's as we now know Israel to be, with a few exceptions. There's some things going on in some of the borders even today in Israel that doesn't make it totally what it was was in the Old Testament. But basically, you have Israel, and you have three kings of Israel, uh, of united Israel. You have King Saul, who's currently the king, when we pick up the story. Then you have King David. And then you have King Solomon. Okay, who was David's son. And after Solomon, it just all falls to pieces. And we got, we got Israel fragmented all over the place. We have all kinds of different kings of the southern kingdom, of the northern kingdom, and all kinds of weird stuff. So, and we won't get into that. But keep in mind, this is King Saul is, is the king right now. King Saul, S-A-U-L. He's the, he's the king of Israel. And now watch what happens after David's confrontation with David, with Goliath. And this is, again, 1 Samuel chapter 23. Something happened when the victorious Israelite army was returning home after... After David had killed Goliath women it's always women involved aren't there huh when it comes to guys you know little you know don't mean that in a bad way to the women I mean that more in a bad way to the guys uh, that's that's really what I mean um, so um, here's what women came out from all the towns along the way to celebrate and to cheer for King Saul And they sang and they danced for joy with tambourines and cymbals. This was their song. Saul has killed his thousands and David his ten thousands. That's not good. This made Saul very angry. What's this, he said. They credit David with tens of thousands and me with only thousands. Next, they'll be making him their king. So from that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye on David, isn't it? Often the case that where conflict takes over, at the root of that is some form of jealousy. Oftentimes we don't identify it that way. And sometimes it takes three or four years of therapy to get to the bottom of that. But sometimes even between a husband and a wife, between good friends, business associates, oftentimes there's some jealousy thing going on. Here's the classic example of that. And by the way, King Saul already knew at this point that David was going to be, gel, uh, was going, uh, was going to be the king. Um, Samuel, the Old Testament prophet, the, the pastor before Nathan to, uh, to uh, Saul and then David, Samuel already told him that. He said, God has said David is going to be the next king because you've blown it, you've blown this, you've blown that, and in God's time, David will replace you. So he already knows that. So this is sort of piling on at this point. He's just kind of like, what's going on here? So, that's what happens. But watch what happens here. Verse, the jealousy things happens. Then verse 14, David continued to succeed in everything he did, for the Lord was with him. When Saul recognized this, he became even more afraid of him. Insecurities. Check in. You know, they're, they're just coming on strong. All Israel and Judah Loved David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. Israel and Judah are the same country. Judah is the southern, what we now would know as the southern part of Israel, and Israel is the northern part. Later on it would divide, as I said, after Solomon. But so this is all of united Israel is, is, is sort of getting behind, behind David because he was so successful at leading his troops into battle. That shouldn't be a surprise to you. Think about it just in the history of our country. Great military leaders often end up being, often, uh, several times have ended up being great leaders in America. Senators, presidents, Dwight Eisenhower, John F. Kennedy, great war hero. Um, Dwight Eisenhower, great general. Some credit him with winning World War II. You go back, Teddy Roosevelt, great war hero. Go back, Ulysses Simpson Grant, great war hero. Go back to our first president, George Washington, great war hero. It's not really that unusual, is it? Even back in the Old Testament, that some of these great war heroes, as we would call them now, military heroes, end up being a leader, and that's what's happening. People are like, look, look at David. Everywhere he goes, he has success, all the time. Here's King Saul over in the corner, kind of stewing, just just getting eaten up with this stuff. That stuff will, that stuff will kill you. Um, So now watch what happens. Chapter 24, verse 1. After Saul returned from fighting the Philistines, that's who they're always fighting, the Philistines, he was told that David had gone into the wilderness of Engedi. Now, this is great stuff here. I, 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 Engeedi, I'll tell you in a minute. Keep reading here. So Saul chose three thousand special um, Navy SEALs from throughout Israel and went to search for David. And that's what they were—special troops, Navy SEALs or Green Berets, that type. You know, they were they were special. They were special forces, basically. All right, and that's you know, isn't that amazing? Um, John F. Kennedy started that in our country. Really, you go back to the Old Testament and you find places where the king had a special forces unit. I just think it's kind of cool. Anyway, uh, throughout he went throughout all Israel and went to search for David and his men near the rocks of the wild goats. That's in Gedi. I'll tell you more about that in a second. At the place where the road passes some sheepfold, Saul went into the cave. Look out, it's here in the Bible, folks. Hang with me. Uh, Saul went into the cave to relieve himself. Hmm. But it, as, as it happened, David and his men were hiding in that very cave. Here's what's going on. This is good stuff. This is really this is great. This is great drama. Okay, the writers are on strike. But right here, you go the Old Testament. Here we go. Right here. Okay. Sorry, Joe. Where we are. Uh, um, uh, right here it is. Um, here's what's going on. First of all, in Getty is this incredible place. Uh, it's just it's just a little bit east. I mean, like like 500 yards or so east. Of 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 what is known as the Dead Sea. The Dead Sea is is you know no water coming in, no water going out. It just exists there. It's incredibly salty, two or three times what the ocean is. I don't even know the figures. And when we were there one time, a little side light to this story, um, when we were there about seven years ago, um, we get we get to the. Uh, Dead Sea, and and everybody wants to go in and see what it's like because you can't really you get you just float you can't if you can't swim you can go to the Dead Sea and you can you just you just float it's just so salty and our guide who I'd been there about a week and by this time he was my buddy and uh, you know and uh, and so he says to everybody he says, everybody hey don't dive in the Dead Sea don't dive in the Dead Sea I mean you know and you, some of you are just like me what are you going to do you're going to dive in the Dead Sea. I'm like, and Charlene's like, you're going to do it, aren't you? And I'm like, and you know, she's been married to me long enough. And I said, I got to do it now. I came out screaming, literally, literally, because of the salt it was so, so concentrated in your eyes and stuff. You're just like, I'm just burning like fire. And thankfully, they have little showers right there around the thing. And you <laughs> just jump in there and put your head underneath there. But It was just brutal. So you got this thing going on right, just like 500 yards or so, strict, just a little bit west of that is this incredibly beautiful canyon. And if you've been in the West at all, and I'm sure there's some here on the East Coast. I haven't been to them, but in, and I spent you know a lot a lot of years in the West. So um, where you have some box canyons, you know, we have one of those in Colorado called Glenwood Canyon, and and then we have some other ones. There are some other ones in Western Colorado. Some in Utah. I've been to Utah, or even in some parts of Montana. Um, and in this canyon is a small canyon overlooking this, this dead sea, and you, you kind of climb up it, and now they have a little path where you can walk up, and there's all kinds of caves. It's craggy, you know, little, little drop-offs and little crevices here and there, and it's just beautiful, just beautiful. And I, and I spent the afternoon there just kind of getting the feel, because David spent a lot of time there hiding this very way, hiding from King Saul. There's lots of caves and they have one cave that they think maybe that this happened. Nobody, nobody knows for sure. But so, the, so we're, we're walking around, we're going through the caves and I'm just kind of, I'm by myself and I'm just thinking about, man, how about this is where David was, man. You know, I'm just going crazy in my mind because I, I just love David so much and I'm trying to get the feel for it. And um, so he's in the, he's back in this cave, I don't know how, why they went way back in the cave, but they went way back in the cave. And while they're there, and you can just picture this, here comes King Saul and his special forces unit, and they come to the mouth of that cave. And they're, they're taking care of business, if you understand what I mean. Okay, so, so here's King, you know, David's back in there, and look what happens. I mean, he, he's, he's back in the cave and, and taking care of business there. That's all we need to say. Now watch what happens in verse 4. Now's your opportunity. David's men you can hear him whispering to him today's the day the Lord was talking about when he said I will certainly put Saul into your power to do with as you wish then David crept forward and cut off a piece of Saul's robe he's pretty intent on his business I guess I mean can you imagine took a you know maybe he laid his robe over here I don't know but he took a piece of the robe cut it off and it's like wow this is pretty heavy stuff Then David, look at verse 5, but then David's conscience began bothering him because he had cut Saul's robe. The Lord knows I shouldn't have done it, he said to his men. It's a serious thing to attack the Lord's anointed one. This is the guy that God had anointed to be the ruler of Israel at that time. It's a serious thing to attack the Lord's anointed one, for the Lord himself has chosen him. So David sharply rebuked his men and did not let him kill Saul. After Saul had left the cave and gone on his way, David came out and shouted after him, My Lord, the king! And when Saul looked around, David bowed low before him. I mean, David's feeling bad about this. Feel, you, know, you know, and here's the thing. And this is why this guy uh, is just incredible. What do, you think, what do you think some of us, I, I, I would be one, what do you think I would have done if I had cut off his robe, and piece of his robe, and then let him walk out to the cave? I would have been, hey, jerk, look. David was like, no, this is wrong. I, I, this is just wrong. And he's not in his face. He's not taunting him. He's not saying, ha, 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 look what I did. He's just humbled. He like, I, I, said, this, this I should leave this in God's hands. I shouldn't be doing this. Look, and, and you know, in verse 9, then he shouted to Saul, why do you listen to the people who say I'm trying to harm you? This very day you can see with your own eyes it isn't true. For the Lord placed you at my mercy back there in the cave and and, and some of my men told me to kill you, but I spared you for I said, I will never harm you. He is the Lord's anointed one. Look, my father, term of endearment. They had been close at one time, but he's using this in in terms of a, a term of endearment. Look, my father, what I have in my hand is a piece of your robe. I cut it off, but I didn't kill you. This proves that I'm not trying to harm you, but, I've been, but, I, but I have not sinned against you, even though you have been hunting for me to kill me. Now, keep in mind, most likely, and most scholars believe this conversation is taking place probably over a crevice where they can't get to each other because in a weak moment, maybe Saul would have sent his guys after him or, or, or maybe some of David's guys would have stormed him or whatever. So this is probably a conversation that could be taking place from here, maybe to the back of this auditorium with a huge crevice between you and you can't really get to each other. You know, and they don't have Uzis or anything like that. So they, they can just, okay, you know, you, you can get away. So they're just talking. And, and, and David's just saying, look, man, I'm not, out, I'm not out to hurt you. I could have done that back there, I, but I didn't want to do that. Verse 16, Saul called, this is why there was some distance, Saul called back, is that really you, my son, David? Then he began to cry, this is Saul crying, then he said to David, you're better than man than I am, for you have repaid me good for evil. Yes, you have been wonderfully kind to me today, for when the Lord put me in a place where you could have killed me, you didn't do it. Who else would let his enemy get away when he had him in his power? May the Lord reward you well for the kindness you have shown me today. You know, we were talking about that earlier. You got somebody and they've really done you wrong. And maybe it's something they've said about you in the neighborhood. Maybe it's a family thing. Maybe it's somebody in business that has just put the screws to you and just really, really hurt you. Maybe more than emotional. Maybe it's financially, you know. And then you have the ability, you have the power to get back at them. Doesn't mean you shouldn't, you should be a doormat. Doesn't mean you shouldn't fight for what's right in a business deal. That's not the point at all here. But you have the ability to hurt them back. And the point is here, let it go. Let it go. It's not about hurting people. And, and, and that's, that's, that's so important. It's the attitude here. Then he goes on. And now I realize that you are are surely going to be king and Israel will flourish under your rule. He would be and it does. Now swear to me by the Lord that when that happens, you will not kill my family and destroy my line of descendants. David promised Saul went home, but David and his men went back to their stronghold. And within about a month, we believe, Saul was back chasing him again. And there would be more instances like this. Ten years, roughly. Ten years this went on. Saul chasing David. David on a number of different occasions having the ability to strike back and kill him and he never did that. The blessing of difficult people is they teach us something about ourselves and they teach us something about our trust in God. That's what we have to take away from this. Now, you might be thinking about, now, okay, I don't get the thankfulness here. I'm thankful that they teach me something about myself. I'm thankful that they teach me something about the depth of my trust in God. But what else? All right, let me show you a passage from the New Testament, and then I'm going to answer that question. All right? Um, Romans 12 says this, Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Do things in such a way that everyone can see you are honorable amazing, that's what works in the world too. Do your, look, do your part to live in peace with everyone as much as possible. I'm so glad the Bible words it that way because some people don't want to live at peace. Sometimes they just don't want to and you can't do anything about it. But he's saying, do your part to live in peace with everyone as much as possible. Dear friends, never avenge yourselves. Leave that to God. For it is written, I will take vengeance. I will repay those who deserve it, says the Lord. Instead, do what the Scriptures say. If your enemies are hungry, feed them. If they are thirsty, give them something to drink. If they, and they will be ashamed of what they have done to you. Key verse right here, watch it. Don't let evil get the best of you, but conquer evil by doing good. One Bible says, don't let evil overwhelm you. You know what that's like? when you feel like you've been overwhelmed and then you start acting like the person who has offended you. Francis Bacon put it this way, in taking revenge, a man is but even with his enemy, but in passing it over, he is superior. Bible teaches that too. So, what does that have to do with thankfulness? What does that have to do with being thankful or or thanks and being thankful for the difficult people? Here's what that has to do with. And let me just let me put this let me make three statements that I hope will kind of hope help crystallize this for you. Thankfulness is displayed by how we treat the deserving, the undeserving, and those who who deserve to be treated in accordance with the same drivel they deal out. Did you get that? Thankfulness is displayed by how we treat people, whether they deserve it, whether they don't, or whether they deserve to be treated like trash because that's how they treat people. I, I display that I'm a thankful person because of how I can treat those kind of people, wherever they are in that spectrum the people who don't know what they're doing, the people who are just jerks, and the people who really, really, really did intend to hurt you. So you say, okay, that's thankfulness. Yeah, thankfulness is displayed in how we live. You know how we talk, even in our even in our even in our tone of voice. Did you ever know someone that whined a lot? So I don't know what it is. Sometimes the, the, the voice goes up a couple of octaves. Well, you know, man, you know, yeah. and it kind of goes from there. It's like when our kids were young. They, they, never, they really went bad. But when our kids were young, okay, that's enough. I don't want to hear anymore. You know, you just tell the tone of voice. That's good. No more. Don't need to hear that. Let's talk normal here. Um, that's, you know, thankfulness really, it, it's displayed in so many ways. Thankfulness, thankfulness is reflected, and this is the hard part, when we can trust God with the injustices, the irritants, and the jerks of life. And thankful that while, you know, thankful that while we once may have been one of them because, because of what Christ has done in my life, because we're followers of Christ, I'm now part of the solution. Because you're one of the other. You know that, right? You're one of the other. You're the part of the problem, you're part of the solution. And that's where, let me just let me just say this very clearly. That's where the radical intervention of God working in the heart of an individual who comes to him and says, God, I want to give my life to you. I want to put my trust in Jesus. I'm, I'm a sinner. I know I am. I'm a fallen individual. And Christ came and died and rose again for me. I want to put my, my life, my trust, my hope in you and have that, that radical intervention take place internally. God's still in that business. And Jesus does that. And he can make us thankful people. Just the very fact that we do that, we all of a sudden realize, you know, there's so much I deserve that's not going to happen because of God's and Jesus' grace in my life. Because I've come to, that's the good news, that's the gospel. Love that part of it. It's amazing. So thankfulness is reflected when we can trust God with our injustices, our, our irritants, and just the jerks of life and become part of the a solution as opposed to part of the problem. Not the greatest computer guy in the world, but I have picked up a few terms here and there, and I, I want to say this one. This is, this, this is kind of what I thought of. Thankfulness, thankfulness whether you're David or whether you're you or whether you're me, is like having sort of an, sort of a default mode internally that thinks I am one very fallen sinner boy or sinner girl, depending on your situation. And I need someone who can infuse me with love and with forgiveness and with enough spiritual fortitude to trust God in the very difficult areas of life, which includes people. That's that that, that default mode that I'm going to be thankful. Don't understand it, don't like it, but I'm going to be thankful because of what Christ has done in my life. I had, a, I had a thing I dealt with actually this year, earlier this year, um, and, and it, would, it went back several years actually, and it's one of those, it's really only two or three people, but it was two or three people that, that had really hurt me, hurt my wife, hurt my family some from the church I was in before. And, and I don't know if they knew what they were doing or if they intended to do it. It doesn't really matter. And I went through the whole motions before I ever left to talk to them and try to work that out. But every time I would see a name on my contacts or looking through some documents on my computer and happen to see a name, there was still that... <sighs> you know what I mean? Just, just not, not, not anything I'd do like that, but it was just Internal. There was still that, hey, jerk, yeah, you know, that kind of thing. I mean, it wasn't like I would throw things at the TV or, or throw my computer across the room. Never have done that, actually. But, you know, see TV shows sometimes where somebody gets mad at their laptop and throws it across the room, and I'm thinking, that would be bad. Anyway, it was that kind of thing. we just kind of a little uh, inside. I knew, I knew I wasn't right, but it wasn't a big visible thing. So through great pains, literally, I mean, I uh, just uh, finding emails, I, I found these two or three people's email, new email addresses, because it's been seven or eight years. And I wrote each one of them individually on different days. And I said, hey, it's rich. Don't know if you know, I'm in the burbs of New York and uh, doing well. I just want you to know I love you. And I hope you're well. And I pray for you. And I did. And I, don't, I want nothing but the best for you. Love you. See you. Rich. It's hard to do. I but, then when, you know, I, I got to tell you, when I did that and I hit that sin, boom. I was like, whew, I'm done with it. I trust God with it. I'm done with it tired of carrying around this crap. I don't want that. Life's too short for that. I'm not that old, but I haven't got that many years left either. I don't want any of that stuff hanging around. And you know, it's just, it's just amazing how that works. And that's what God has in mind for His people. Not to live like everybody else. Not to carry that stuff around like everybody else. And we, can, we don't do that because we are so, why? Thankful for where we are and what God has done in my life. And that's true for us. Thankfulness is what drives that, to give us that ability to say, I'm just thankful for where I am, for who I am, and for how God has and continues to bless me in my relationship with him. So my prayer is very simple. My prayer is that you and I will stay mindful of our complete fallenness. That's not hard to do. But stay mindful of our complete fallenness, that that you and I will stay trustful of an almighty God, and that you and I will stay thankful for a God that no matter what has your back, because he does, every time. Let's pray, God, it is with a heart and mind full of thanksgiving that I give these words and that I thank you, along with everyone else here, what you have done or can do in an individual's life. For some of us, God, it's a matter of revisiting that and saying, Lord God, I just want to realize again your blessing, how you have worked in my heart, how you have radically changed many of my attitudes and hopefully all of them in time that aren't healthy. For some of us, God, it might be the first time to come to you and say, God, I want to just come to Jesus and just say, you know, renovate my heart. And I too will be one of those counted to be so very thankful for your grace and for your love and for your forgiveness. And being grateful, that'll, that'll, that'll affect everything I do. We thank you for that and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.